Hello, and thank you for listening to this episode of the Night Sky Podcast. My name is Billy Newman. And I'm Marina Hansen. And this time we're going to be talking about what's going on in the stars above us for the second week of April 2016. Yeah. I guess it's still the first week of April. Only a few days in April. It's a couple days into April, and we're going to be... (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, it's for the fourth. Um, I'm not sure when people are going to listen to it, but probably the next couple of days. And uh, and yeah, we're we're going to be talking about some of the sky watching events that are going to be going on in, uh, I guess, the beginning of April. Like the others, we've been kind of been talking about uh, a couple of different topics through each episode that we uh, we have a discussion on. But this time, uh, we're going to be talking about Mercury, which is cool. I, so we were talking about that during uh, the time that we were outside doing some observations earlier, is that Mercury is going to be on the rise in the evening sky after the sun is set. It's going to be cool. So this week is going to be going to mark the start of the time that Mercury is going to be visible. Were you hearing about that? Yeah, that's really cool that it's uh, showing up again. Yeah, this year, more than I think in other years in the past that I'm trying to remember, there's there's just been more opportunities to see Mercury throughout the year like we had at the beginning of the time that we started recording this podcast. We had Mercury setting in the evening sky um, at the end of December, and then it flipped real fast to the other side of the sun where it started um, in the morning during the sun's rise, and that's when we had like the five planets visible in the morning sky with Mercury included in the morning. And then now Mercury's dropped back off like at the end of February. It dropped back off close to the sun. And then now, I don't know, a month later, it's kind of picked itself back up onto the uh, other side of the sun into the evening side. And so it's going to be rising into the uh, evening sky just a little bit by a little bit over the next three weeks. This is what we have to look forward to. And this is what we're going to try and observe over the next couple of weeks too. And there's going to be a couple markers that we'll try and keep an eye on. And we'll go over those in a minute. But over the next three weeks, we're going to see uh, Mercury move out to its greatest elongation, which I think is, if I understood right, um, the longest angular separation of Mercury from the sun. Okay. So if we have like the sun at the point in the center, it's going to be the point where Mercury is going to be the the furthest observationally away from the sun. And in our case, what it's going to be is further up the ecliptic line so that Mercury sets later than the sun, and that makes it visible in the evening sky for us. Hey, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it'll be really cool. We should definitely check it out. Um, this, it's tough with Mercury because like we've talked about, even though this year kind of proves opposite to what I've been saying, it's difficult to make observations of Mercury, even during this year when Mercury's seeming to seemingly to have been in the sky a lot of times there's not been very many times that we've had um, good viewing conditions where we could actually see mercury often because it's just so close to the horizon and it's really only visible for a short period of time uh, in the morning sky you know because it rises if it's in the morning right before the sun rises and then as it as the evening's coming on it's right it's still during twilight it's still really essentially light out you can see very few other stars but since it's a planet you can sometimes make it out often it requires really good a well how would you say a really good uh uh angle of view of the western sky so you can see like the horizon line you don't have mountains or trees kind of obscuring your view when that allows you is like another 15 20 minutes half hour of viewing time for this for the sky to get uh dark out 
So, um, so like if you try to make a, a sighting of Mercury too early, it's just going to be like blue sky out. You won't be able right. to see that many stars, but as you let the sky get darker and darker, um, eventually you're going to be able to, to make it out better or you're going to be able to get a better viewing of it back in at the end of December, early January. Um, I remember we had a pretty good viewing of it for probably a half hour, 45 minutes after sunset. And it was, it was really quite bright at that time of year. I'm not sure what the magnitude that's going to be representing with this time around is going to be, but we're going to start seeing it April 8th, I think is, you might be able to see it if you, if you start looking right now, you might be able to make it out. But the period that I think that the, the, the first time that it may be easy to spot it might be April 8th. And the reason for that is we're coming into the point where we have a new moon. I think it's a crescent right now. And then it's going to switch over. We're going to have a new moon. And then on April 8th, it's going to be uh, the first sliver of a moon. Um, that first night after new moon. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And so when it's at that sliver, we're going to look to, uh, to the, the sunset. The sun will have just gone under the horizon. We're going to be able to spot the crescent moon, maybe see some of that earth shine. We should look for it on the 8th and see if we can see anything cool. We should probably okay. pull out like the telescope or something, or even just the big lens. We should pull out the big camera lens and try and get some cool photographs in the oh, evening. It'd be fun. It'd be fun, yeah. But uh, there's a... Uh, so there's this other complicated thing. I should take a second and explain that too. This is a cool new moon because uh, like we were talking about with the draconic cycle, like last month when there was a new moon, there was a solar eclipse. And then this month is just a little bit off from that draconic cycle node. Like we were talking about with that 27 and 29 day period and how it's just a little bit off. Mm -hmm. But what we're going to come into is um, the moon goes through this period where it's, it's a new moon period hits. And then the next day the moon is, some distance away from where the location of the sun. And that's the first night that we see the crescent moon. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so on some months it's in a, a location that's much closer to the sun. And on some months or in some nights it's further away from the sun. Does that make sense? I think so. Okay. And so if you, if you think for a moment that like the moon and its progression of being a crescent and then moving to a total moon is a constant change. Right. Something doesn't happen in one day and then two day and then three day. And so sometimes when we get our opportunity, our moments to view that crescent moon in the evening sky after, uh, after new moon, it's going to be a thinner crescent. And then sometimes it's going to be a thicker crescent okay. because, because of the 24 hour period part that we're going to get to see the moon. Mm -hmm. And so this time it's special. It's specific because we have the new moon and then we have the first crescent moon that's visible is supposed to be what's a, considered a very small or very thin crescent of the moon visible for the first crescent moon of the month of April. That'll be neat to see. Yeah, it'll be cool. Really and so good. when we can see this on the 8th, what's going to be just to, I guess, to the north or just down on the ecliptic line from the new moon, from the crescent moon that we see is going to be a point of light and that's going to be Mercury. That's, a, that, that's the easiest way or the, the clearest way that we're going to have kind of a clear um, way to find Mercury in the evening sky when it's still probably twilight out mm -hmm. or still probably fairly light out. And it, given that Mercury is probably going to be dim right now, it, it'll be complicated to see. And so the moon being there as a crescent is going to be a really good guide just to give you a general sense of the location to keep your eyes at 
so that you can try and resolve that real fine point of light. It's really complicated to do sometimes. If it's if it's too bright out, it's it's very difficult to get a good sighting of a dim star object like that. It can be really tricky. Yeah, there's a couple of, a couple of tricks you can do. Have you heard it of side vision before? I think that you've told me about side vision. It's a before. strange, it's a strange thing when you see it work, and uh, you might try and do it. Or you might try and employ the trick sometime. If, uh, if you're trying to make an observation of uh, something that's dim light or like a low magnitude star, um, something that's like a, like a fourth or a fifth magnitude star in the sky. But I remember learning this uh, once in the past is that it's, it's sort of the biology of the way that your eyes is built is that you have cones and rods in your eye. Right. Have you heard of those before? Yeah. I don't know much about biology. I don't know much about how eyes are built, but I remember the cones and the rod cells on the back of the back of the retina, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. I and so, so I think, and I could be wrong, but I think that the cones were the cells that were there to interpret color, if I understood right, and the rod cells were the ones that were there to in- interpret contrast and, and black and white, if I could, or if that's what I understood right. And so what I had heard is that in the center of your vision, you have more cone cells, things that are better at selecting color, but at the the fringes and your periphery of your vision field, you have more rod cells. And so when you look directly at something, you'd be able to isolate the color of the object better than you could at the fringes, at the periphery. But you can select bright or dark better at your periphery. So if you're looking at something that's a dim object in the sky, something that's a fourth or a fifth magnitude star, let's say, or let's say, in this specific case, on April 8th, you're looking at the crescent moon and you're trying to find a really dim planet in the twilight setting sun um, above the western horizon, then what you might try and do is use your side vision so you look directly at the point that you want to see and then you try and concentrate your focus as you look away from it and use the peripheral vision to try and get a better look at it. And uh, it's strange that sometimes it really works things that you can't quite make out or get a good uh, view of through your direct vision. You can see more clearly or you can see like fainter magnitude things um, by concentrating on your side vision when you look. That's really interesting. That's a cool trick. It is pretty cool. Yeah. And you know, it's a variable increase in the the ability to see something. It's not going to resolve something that you can't see. It's just going to help you see something you can see that's sort of falling in and out of you know the level of brightness that threshold that your eyes can can pick up that night but it's good yeah if you if even in dark skies really is probably where it'd be most effective where uh, um, you don't have a lot of other light trying to compete and then uh, probably concentrate or uh, dilate your pupils down with a dilate out and what is it when it constricts what would that be called when your pupils constrict to like let less let in during a sunset, it's going to be a competitive environment for your eyes because there's probably going to be so much light coming off of the sky that it's going to be a lot of light for your eyes to deal with. So they're going to want to close down and let less light in, let you see less bright object or less um, dim objects in the sky. So like little star points are going to be almost impossible to, to pull out because they're going to be blown out in the sky because your eyes not going to want to expose for that. And so that's why he has to get a little bit darker for the side vision trick to work quite as well. 
So that's why like in dark skies, it's a, you're looking at the Pleiades and you're trying to find that seventh star that's in there, that really dim one in the center at the top mm-hmm. of the, the little dipper section. You might try and use your side vision to see if you could make out where that star is. And that's when you'd be using your side vision like in a dark sky situation, which you know, is cool to do. It's, it's hard. It's hard to do, but it's kind of fun to try and see like more stars that you can't see or, uh, or like spot something with binoculars and then pull them down and see if you can try and spot them. It's kind of cool. People yeah. try and do it. That's cool. But yeah, so uh, Mercury is going to be up this month. Greatest elongation is going to be on April 18th. So that means we have, uh, I guess, about three weeks um, for uh, trying to get good observations of Mercury starting on April 8th, like that one that we were talking about. And then furthest point away from the sun is going to be April 18th. And then it starts making its move back westward on the ecliptic line down toward uh, the sun as it you know, moves back down below the horizon. And then I'm not sure when the next time we're going to be able to see it is at this rate, like this year has been going, we're probably going to find some note of it being in the morning sky, you know, sometime yeah, in I was June or something. <laughs> Who knows though, or late May. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it'd be cool. We'll try and keep uh, a track of Mercury and it's uh, rise in the evening sky over this next month. It'd be cool. Yeah. It'll be cool to check out. Uh, well, we've got that crescent. Yeah, yeah, we should definitely try and look at that. That'd be cool to try and photograph too. It'd be fun, or try and get a picture of uh, of the new moon. I want to try and get some more photos of it over this cycle, especially if we have clear nights. I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, we should definitely take advantage of the clear nights. Yeah, we should try and do that as much as we can over the summer. We were talking uh, before we started. Yeah, we should we should get um, a telescope. We should get a, a like a a deep sky. Atlas oh, yeah, or you know whatever that, that piece is that atlas. deep sky so the, the maps of the, the entire sky and uh, we should get a camera for the telescope like a camera connector kit right for the yeah, telescope so we can like set yeah and, and try cool. and get some photographs of stuff I think that'd be really fun to try and do just as like a hobbyist thing try and get some cool nebula photos that we make ourselves yeah, or picture of the Andromeda galaxy that we made ourselves picture of the planet uh, you know planets that we make ourselves like Saturn's rings or Mars's I don't know, ice caps. That'd be really probably be coming into a good time of year to get a view of that. If uh, we could, cause it's that close pass. So that's the time that you can, you can get the best, um, the best amateur photographs of it because it's at its closest. So you can get kind of the best resolution with the equipment that you have, but we could easily get um, like Jupiter's moons or the storm on Jupiter or anything like that. That'd be fun to try. It'd be cool. Or just other stuff, other little features. We should try and do that this summer though. Yeah, I want to get cool. that set up, put together. Yeah. We, we were talking about that while we were out on our walk and we were trying to do some observations to get ready for the show. And we were trying to think of like what's up right now and like what time it is and sort of where the placement of the stars are. So we can see the, what we were calling the winter hexagon, that big spiral in the sky of uh, those first magnitude stars that we've been talking about a lot throughout this winter. And that's kind of moved from the due south position and it's sort of moved past, past its zenith point, and it's now over, uh, kind of pulling over the western horizon a little bit. It's interesting how it does that. And it does that a little bit more like where we're at in the, the northern latitudes. Um, like right over, the, right over the equator, you see the, uh, the constellations of the zodiac or the constellations in the ecliptic line up really just like from due east they rise straight up over the sky at the highest point, the zenith, and then they set due west. So they stay kind of in a straight line. 
and that's because you'd be at the equator. Um, so there's really no seasonal change and there, there's not as much, um, it's not precession. What is it? The, there's not as much of a rotation of the earth's axis for the seasonal change that we see. And so the reason that we see, um, you know, that, that big kind of skew of a line in our sky, that stretch of the, like Orion being up in the Southern sky right now, but then let's say this summer, Scorpio being in that position. Whereas right now, if we know Orion is south or is below the ecliptic line, but it's higher in the sky than Scorpio is, which is on the ecliptic line during the summer, it moves around for us because we're in the Northern hemisphere. So it's kind of strange to like watch how that stuff fits together. You know what I mean? I don't know. It'll be, it'll be strange to see like how it comes together, but we were looking at the winter hexagon and those stars there. And then we were starting to look at those spring constellations too. And I was looking at Leo. So we looked at like, uh, we would name off like Capella. And then were the other ones, it was Castor, Pollux, Procyon, and then Rigel, right? Yeah. Rigel, Aldebaran. Yeah. Aldebaran. And then Beetle. Yeah, How is that Beetlejuice. 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 I don't know. Beetlegees. I'd heard before. Beetlegees. <laughs> The, spe the spelling on it is interesting. Yeah. I think that's where uh, like Beetlejuice comes from. And I'm pretty sure like Betelgeuse is sort of the one that's been agreed upon to not be, I don't know, to not sound like Beetlejuice, uh -huh. which is sort of an English term. So I don't know. That's just scientists trying to change the names of stuff, <laughs> which I don't know why. Um, but we were looking at Leo and I was going to talk about Leo for a second because like Leo is where Jupiter is right now. Probably yeah. one of the easiest constellations to find right now. Uh, yeah. Jupiter is really bright. Yeah. Right? Only because Jupiter bright is so bright. Yeah. I was looking it up. I think it's at a negative 2.3 magnitude right now or 2.3, 2.4, which is really, it's one of the brightest things in the sky i think venus gets up to like a negative three sometimes but but jupiter especially for being in opposition it's just super super bright right now and uh it's just dominating in that part of the sky but uh what you look at is uh is the constellation leo that's where jupiter is right now and it's kind of in like the feet of leo and so if you don't know leo is the lion and leo is the the zodiac constellation that's uh, in placed on the ecliptic. And I think it occupies the same position as the sun in the sky during essentially the month of August. I think it starts a little bit, um, what is it, like the last couple days of July until the last couple days of August. But uh, I think that's the month of, uh, of Leo for the Zodiac. Right now it's high up in the sky. Um, I think kind of rising in opposition. So right about as the time that the sun goes down is when we see Leo kind of coming up into the air. Um, and that's where Jupiter is like we were talking about. And so there's a couple cool features of Leo and on a dark night, you can make them out pretty well. Jupiter though, kind of, kind of, I don't know, pushes them aside in some sense because it's just so dominant right now, mm -hmm. but you can see the sickle in, in Leo. That's really the dominant feature that everybody pays attention to when they look at Leo. Like that's what you would spot, right? You could see a little bit tonight when we were out there looking. I think so. Yeah. It was yeah. a little blocked by some of those. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, city lights that we're trying to fight off right now. But, um, but when you, when you look at it, Leo, the dominant thing of the constellation that you're going to notice is uh, the sickle shape or really what it is, is a reversed question mark. That's what it was always uh, told to me as it's just the easiest thing in the sky to see. And it's one of those, 
I guess, you know, as they call them like asterisms that make it more easy to find stuff that you see in the night sky, like, uh, like the teapot in Sagittarius or the belt in the Big Dipper or <laughs> sorry, the belt right. in Orion or the Big Dipper itself. Um, or the Pleiades, you know, whatever those are. It's these little sections of a constellation that kind of make them a little easier to pull out or, or, or find in the night sky. And so the sickle shape, as it's kind of called, is the one that uh, is pretty easy for the constellation of Leo. And at the end of the sickle, at the bottom, the dot of the question mark, if you will, that's the star Regulus. And Regulus is the bright star that's part of, that's part of the constellation Leo. That's kind of the dominant um, I think it might be a, I think it's a second magnitude star. It's still pretty bright. Okay. Yeah. I was thinking it looked pretty bright near Jupiter. Yeah. We at it might earlier. be a first magnitude star though. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, uh, the star Regulus and that's a good one to know. That one's a cool, uh, a cool star. Um, and then we have Jupiter right out from that a little bit more toward the East. And then I think the other star that's the lion's head Leo, the lion's head, is a star called Denebola, Denebola, which I think is a third magnitude star. So it starts to get a little bit more dim. And that's a tough thing about a lot of the, the constellations, you know, is, is that a lot of the dominant stars that would sort of make up some element of the shape that you're really trying to find, they're, they're dim stars, or they're not really that significant. That's why people are so attracted to constellations like Orion where almost every star is pretty significant and pretty pretty well in a in a line or like an outline of the shape that you're sort of yeah it's trying to communicate you can notice yeah similar to like Scorpio or the Big Dipper but that the collection is is kind of tight and it sort of looks like some or at least the, the human mind tries to have it look like something it's a pattern that is pretty identifiable in the sky and sometimes they're not as identifiable yeah, that's really tough. true. Yeah, there. That's something I have a hard time with, especially living in the city with oh, all yeah. the light pollution. It's tough. Is, and I don't have very good eyes, oh, yeah. so I definitely notice that I have a hard time kind of finding my place in the sky. Sometimes when I'm first, it can be real tough stuff and disorienting. I just can't quite see all of the parts of the constellation you know it's a tough thing that a lot of folks especially anyone which i think what is now more than 50 percent of people that live in an urban area or a city and even in a place like this like eugene or like where i grew up in grants pass it's not an urban center it's not a city it's really considered a, a rural area but yeah. still the light pollution of of just a downtown area is, is such that you can't see many stars and so Given that and given kind of a general disinterest in the or focus in astronomy or sky watching stuff, people just aren't familiar with the shapes or the, the stars that are above them or how they how they look as they pass over, you know, the different constellations that are there. It's kind of gone unattended to like we're talking about because it's so difficult to see them. You can't really make out the shapes that well when like when we're out in the desert or when oh, we'd yeah. be out similar to a, a place where it's kind of removed from light pollution, maybe what humans would have seen a couple hundred years ago in just about every place. But that's also unfair to say too, because low elevations and a lot of water content in the sky and all sorts of other things kind of impact the, the way and how often and how well the stars are viewable from where you're at. But when you're up in the mountains in that crisp, crisp, cold, high mountain air, and you're looking up at the night sky when it's really dark out, and you can see everything, and you can see the Milky Way in really crisp detail, you can see a shadow. 
I don't even know what that's called. Sometimes, Marina, I bet right now, if we were out in Eastern Oregon or in some place that was really dark, you can see your shadow on the ground cast by Jupiter because Jupiter oh. is so bright right now. You can make out a shadow yourself or like light cast on the ground just from the planet Jupiter being reflected no from the sun. Yeah, real strange. It's really cool. I think, gosh, that's a whole other rat hole, but like we're eight minutes from the sun, eight light minutes from the sun. Right. And then Jupiter is way further out from us. So I think it's, I don't know what it is. I think it's like almost half hour or almost 45 minutes to get out to Jupiter. And then that back to us is how old that light from Jupiter is when we look out to Jupiter and see it. But it's cool. Sometimes, yeah, I'm, like I remember out in Eastern Oregon, we were, there was no moon out, but you could see a shadow cast on the ground. Like you see your shadow out in the moonlight. Right. Yeah, you can see it how cast onto cool. the ground. Yeah, just from wow. a planet. So I don't know if that's planet shine. I'm not sure what you call <laughs> it, but uh, it's pretty cool. Yeah, when you, when you get to, get to, or like around a really bright planet that you could do that with. Jupiter's a great one. Um, I bet, I bet Jupiter's probably the best. I think that's the one that it would be known for just because it's the biggest planet. It's going to show the brightest the most oh, often. Yeah. And it's going to be at a point of opposition where you can get a really dark night and, a, and something where you could like see a shadow from a really dim light source. Cause otherwise like with Venus or something, which would also get it just as bright, you're really not going to be able to, to, to have that planet be visible at a point in the night which where it'd be dark enough that you would be able to see a shadow. Right. It's going to be like twilight or sunset or something mm -hmm. like that when the, when the planet of Venus is going to be up in the sky. It'd be strange. But yeah, it's cool. With Jupiter out like it is now, we should try and find it sometime or try and see that for ourselves sometime. Yeah, that's really cool. I think we got like two or three months while it's still hanging pretty high in the sky uh, at this time of, time of the night. But yeah, it'll be really cool. We'll definitely try and find it. Yeah, that sounds good. We should make a desert trip. Yeah, it'd be cool. But um, but yeah, I guess that's most everything that we're going to be talking about. A lot of Mercury rising and uh, some of the stars in Leo. Um, hope you guys uh, checked out our podcast out on iTunes and subscribe. If you're using something else like uh, something on an Android, I guess you can try and subscribe there too. Check out the Night Sky website. That's nightsky.io. My name is Billy Newman. And on behalf of Marina Hansen, I say thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Night Sky Podcast. <laughs>